0: Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. This is Journeys with Jen, and I'm Jennifer Griego.
1: And I climb like hell through the brush and the bramble. Hey, even though I had my doubts, told myself don't look down. And I turned that hill into a pile of bramble. It was only a mountain, nothing but a Just took a little step, a right, then a left, then a couple million more. Who's
0: counting? Yeah, only a Today, I am here with Margaret Castellina and my mom. Um, Margaret has written three books uh, about CF and things like that. We'll get into that. She has two kids with cystic fibrosis, Eric and Jenna, um, and we'll talk about that also um but yeah i just want to talk to margaret about her uh speaking and writing books and her whole journey with that so margaret how are you
2: doing wow uh, i'm doing really well thank you jennifer that yeah. was really nice um,
3: thank <laughs> you. welcome margaret so glad to have you on the line <laughs> hi carol it's so great to have
0: you
2: thank you thank you for the invite absolutely yeah, of course.
0: all right well yeah my mom. uh She's like, okay, before we start, I need to ask Margaret these questions. Um, but, yeah, so how is Eric doing, Margaret?
2: Eric is doing really well. Um, he's been on the tricapter for, uh, which today, the 12th. Mm. It, uh, so he's been on for 10 days. Oh, and wow. it's been remarkable. It really has. That's awesome. Uh, weight gain, uh, very little coughing, um, you know, whole great future going on. So that's pretty awesome.
3: Yeah. Did he describe to you anything specific to him that he... Could verbalize, just kind of everyone's different, but
2: did he kind of? It's well, hard to for comprehend. him, yeah. Yeah, well, for him, of course, I ask every day right. and not necessarily get an answer every day, but right. the, the answers I have been getting are um, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's very used to coughing, and there was no cough. So that was, you know, uh, he he said that was kind of weird.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And um, then a few days later, he said he was running around the house and and up and down the stairs and outside and back in. And then he looks at Courtney, his wife, and he, he's just like, "Is this how you guys live all the time? You <laughs> run around and and not even get winded or out of breath?" And and you know, so that was another remarkable thing. And all in ten days, and then. The last thing is he went away for a guy's trip for, like, three or four days, and he he tends to lose weight because he's not Mm -hmm. doing everything he probably should, and he came back eight pounds heavier. Wow. No way. So, That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? And I just saw him, like, an hour ago. He's picking up suitcases as he's going on a trip with his wife um, on their baby moon.
1: And he Uh borrowed a
2: suitcase, and I just wanted to, like, you know, stare at him, and just, like, I just got to look at you a little extra longer, and his coloring looks great, and his weight, I mean, just, um, you know, just tears in my eyes, really. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It
3: is, uh, yeah, you just have to soak it all in, because it's something that you just, uh, words can't describe it, it's just like a sense of, you know, what your child looks like, no matter how old the kids right. are you just kind of hmm. This, you just you just have a sense of well-being you know and and just better but Jen how would you say your experience was
0: um well yeah so I was on the clinical trial for Trikafta right mm-hmm. um and it's always they always have the weirdest names for these drugs I can't remember them <laughs> <laughs> right uh but yeah I was on the clinical trial for that and everyone always asks you when they're on the clinical trial especially my parents like every day like okay do you have placebo or active drug like can you tell I'm like I don't know um but then the second I got I was actually on placebo but it's only like a month, one month or something month. Um, and then when i got on active drug it was night and day difference like like you said i've been on it for 10 days and it was like in the, within the first two days i was coughing it more than i ever have and i was like okay this is active drug like you can tell and even the wow. research coordinator was like you can tell when you're on active drug and so it's the r- dramatic difference it's just like it's insane and even like the, obviously the weight gain and like clearing up like my lungs and everything even my sinuses like I've never really had like sinuses that were really like stuffy or like I've never noticed like a bunch of sinus pain but it was weird because to me I sounded different um within the first couple of days of being on it I was like hey mom like I sound different and she's like what do you mean like do I sound different to you she's like no and it's just like everything was kind of like echoing in my head so I think my sinuses were just clearer and it just sounded different to me because it wasn't Um, even though I hadn't noticed them being full, I just must have cleared them out. Cause it's were there's some little things that were different that I noticed.
2: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I just find that amazing um, that the ones that are on the drug are like, wow, I can still feel the difference. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I ask Eric every day and he's like, I feel like everybody's like, how do you feel now? And (laughs) he's different, you, you know, and, but you can't help, but be so excited. Like, what do you feel that's different? And, you know, yeah. Basically, his whole life is going to be different now, and yeah, that the, everything rushing out. I guess they call it the purge mm-hmm. or something. Is what the SHIP community calls it, and he's like, "Yep, that's pretty much it."
0: Yeah, <laughs> so. but the thing is, like, and I have no had no side effects from it, which is amazing. But like you say, you ask him every day how it's doing. But usually, you have like the same thing for a week or two, and then you kind of feel normal or at least what your new normal is um so it's not like every day you're coughing up more it's kind of like right at the beginning you're coughing up more so it's not like it's like that the whole time you kind of like like you said like the purge first two weeks and then you kind of like adjust to it you're like oh like this is how it's kind of going to be from now on wow yeah yeah that
3: is well it's good news good news
0: all the way around yeah everyone that's good news
1: absolutely Mm -hmm.
0: yeah for sure um so Margaret, you do so much for the CF community. I know new from the hike, the Grand, mm-hmm. uh, the Grand Canyon hike you guys did, um, but obviously you've done a lot more than just a couple of great, um, extreme hikes. Um, so you've written three books, is that correct? Yes. Wow, that's crazy. I wrote an essay this weekend, and I thought that was a lot. So. <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: Well, to be fair, one of the three books is really a journal, a diary that just turned into a book. So that was just written, you know, it wasn't intended to be a book.
0: Oh, that's cool. So it was kind of like that you had, the journal that you had written kind of throughout the years, and you turned it into a book? Yeah,
2: that's sort of how it went. It has a unique story on how Beyond Breathing came to be and why I actually write. So, yeah, life has a way of throwing you outside of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. and then uh, a new life kind of emerges, and and then you either accept it or you, say, uh, take another route. So, yeah, for me, it it was a different path, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, might as well get right into it. So... Was Beyond Breathing? Is that? Is that? Was that your first one? Or is that? Yep. Oh,
2: okay. Yep. yep. Cool. Beyond Breathing uh, was published in two thousand and eight, October of two thousand and eight. So eleven years ago.
0: Oh wow! So what inspired you to turn kind of the things you had written the journals into the book Beyond Breathing?
2: Uh, marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what happened was is. Um, As you know, my daughter Jenna moved up to heaven, and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, her lungs collapsed in October of 2006, and she um, uh, did not receive a lung transplant and moved up to heaven in December, December 4th of 2006. So that was a whole um, new life, really, or Mm -hmm. non-life, really. Mm -hmm. And the only way I could uh, handle the depression and the place that I lived in, the abyss that I lived in, the alone and Mm -hmm. breathing so I wrote I have always kept a diary since I was 12 years old and I just wrote into my diary but instead of a diary that has a little lock and key and paper it was back then we had PCs personal computers that was the original you know so I just sat in front of a keyboard and just wrote a journal crying upset, depressed, but I just wrote my feelings, because if I didn't write my feelings, and this is just how I've always been, Mm -hmm. I didn't write my feelings, they would just stay in my head, like on a wheel, and going around and around, so I just needed to write my feelings and my thoughts down on a page, so I did, and I did this, I started doing that in like February, because um, uh, January was just uh, a terrible, you know, Mm -hmm, going through mm -hmm. the holidays without Jenna, and then Mm -hmm. just, like, why am I even here, and, Mm -hmm. you know, so then I started writing, and um, my girlfriends, I have a a good group of girlfriends that would come over and just check on me, and I would share, because they would say, how do you feel, how are you, are you okay, and I'd be like, well, this is what I wrote today, Mm -hmm. do you mind if I share it? Mm -hmm. So I'd share it with them, and after I was done, like, sharing whatever I'd written, I thought it was an entry it turned out to be a chapter mm-hmm. <laughs> but I I wrote an entry and I just shared it with them and they were just uh, moved mm-hmm. they were touched they had questions they felt like um, it was helpful for me and they just mm-hmm. they just really said my goodness I really love hearing it. and then it got to every week they'd be like did you write anything Aww. and then I'd share what I wrote and so, I don't know. I think one of them, or maybe they told Mark. I don't know what happened. But <laughs> Mark ended up emailing my whole diary.
3: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he
2: put it all together and he put it in an email and he sent it to Frank DeFord. <laughs> And
3: tell us who tell the listeners who Frank DeFord is, and Mark. Mark, by the way, is her Margaret's husband.
2: husband. Yeah, so Mark's my husband of now twenty nine years, but back then, yes, <laughs> uh, you know. He, all right, so so what happened was he sent it to Frank DeFord. Now Frank DeFord is a CF dad, but mm-hmm. he's more than a CF dad. He was also the past uh, president of the Board of Trustees at uh, the CF Foundation. He also was a prolific writer, and he was a sportscaster. And he had written a book called Alex, The Life of a Child. And this was back in the 80s, I believe, 84. And it turned into an ABC movie where it finally put a face to cystic fibrosis. There was mm-hmm. this little girl, Alex, who was eight years old, who moved up to heaven. And it was Frank's personal story about his daughter and his experience with cystic fibrosis. Um, um, uh, and... um so Mark and I had met Frank due to our involvement with the foundation and um, just being at the national office on occasion or at events or whatnot. So Frank and I, we, we were just, we, we knew each other, Mark mm-hmm. and we all know each other. Unfortunately, Frank has also moved up to heaven, I believe, last year. Um, mm-hmm. But he, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. But back then in 2006, Mark. Well, actually, 2007, I believe it was around uh, April, that he sent, Mark sent my diary via email to Frank, which I didn't know. Really? So, one day, I get an email from Frank. And I have this email to this day, and I have his letters framed, but his email back to me was basically saying, Margaret, I cried like a baby, thank you for sending your book, and you need to publish this, and you, you need to tell your story. And then he goes on to give me all these compliments about my diary. Mm. And then and then he goes, but being the editor, that, mm-hmm. the hard-nosed editor, <laughs> on page 56, <laughs> you need to edit this. And I'm nice. like, so I'm, I'm reading this, and then all of a sudden I'm like, Mark, <laughs> what did you do? Exactly. I, I was flabbergasted. I'm like, First, I was embarrassed. Right. Then I was angry. And I was like, how dare you? And his reason was, he goes, I see how it impacts your girlfriend. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
2: see the difference it's made in their lives. And he said, don't you think it would make a difference in someone else's life? And he goes, and that's why I sent it to Frank, because if anybody would give you Mm -hmm. an honest answer, Frank would. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I I sat there, and then... um, was like okay now what do I do like uh, mm-hmm. first I don't want to share who would read my story about my life I right. mean who You're cares intu- about this mom right your who intimate thoughts my family? yeah your intimate right. suffering
3: you don't want it's a it's a really vulnerable position to it, be in
2: yeah. I mean, I felt you know it was you know not really a violation of privacy. No, right. It was my husband and it was my story, but it was a a violation of my intimacy because mm-hmm. you you don't write your heart out to share that with the world. Mm-hmm. You write it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so um, so that's how that got into my head that maybe I should publish this book is because Frank suggested I do so.
0: Yeah. Well, I think. The Like you said, the violation of like your intimacy or whatever is something that is unique about that because there's not always books that you can read that are just that deep down like this is from my heart, this is what I was feeling. Because I think when you write with the intention of knowing someone else is going to read it, you keep things to yourself and you guard your writing in a sense a little bit. But when you write your heart out to yourself, it can end up being so pure to who you are And that's something that is unique to that and I'm sure is what drew so many people to want to read it because it was, your walls weren't up, you weren't trying to protect and make yourself look any better, you were like, this is me, this is what I'm feeling, this is who I am. And I'm sure there are so many CF parents that can relate to that and parents who have lost a child or live with a CF child who's alive right now, so I think that has I mean, obviously, I haven't read the book, but I'm going to now because it sounds really interesting. <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, I think that what makes it very, like... I mean, obviously, I just heard that first that part. Of it, I'm like, okay, I want to read it. Like, that makes me want to read the book because it just sounds so vulnerable but so relatable at the same time.
2: Uh, that's the biggest feedback I've gotten is raw and real. Everybody says, you were so raw, you were so real. I felt like I was right there with you the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that... Uh, was also a shocking realization for me because um, to know me now, I'm outgoing, I I speak around the country, yes, I'm very outgoing, but to know me then, I wasn't because I didn't want to be judged. I didn't Mm -hmm. want people to say uh, I was good or bad or that wasn't, you know, whatever it is, you put yourself out there to be judged and my biggest fear was to be embarrassed or humiliated and Mm -hmm. then here my husband puts my deepest, darkest, feelings into uh, an email and send it. and then, and then I go to try to pursue to publish this. and of course I'm a, just a stay-at-home mom who is writing her heartbreak on mm-hmm. its pages and who is gonna you know publish this. So I, um, I ended up self-publishing it, but really the push that did it that first time around was because the only reason why I actually hit the submit button to do this, was that people could still meet my daughter Jenna? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Jenna is no longer here on Earth, and and you know, but Jennifer, if you read it, you get to meet my daughter, and that is the only gift and the saving grace out of that whole process because it was very painful to edit and to edit your own diary. Mm-hmm. You know, is is uh, is is not fun, especially yeah. when you're saying I don't want to do this, mm-hmm. but um, you have to relive it again and again, and then you edit it and. Um, but that's the other best, best thing that came out of this is that everybody gets to meet my daughter forever. Yeah. You know, forever. This I book did. is forever out there, and she gets to live eternal in heaven as well as on earth as well. And and somehow people like the book because I've received three awards from the book I wow, mean, awesome. I had Congrats. editor's choice award, a reader's choice award, a star award, um, apparently, because of that vulnerability Mm -hmm. and being raw and real people were um attracted to that vulnerability of side of the book so that that goes to show the more raw and real and honest you are to yourself as well as the people you interact with the more the world says hey thank you you know and you helped me so
3: yeah that's really awesome obviously it takes a lot of courage from you margaret and to take risk um and you did that. And do you think that was helpful in your grieving process? Was it therapeutic for you? Now, number one, it was during the journal writing, I'm sure. But when you accepted the challenge of publishing it and putting it out there, obviously hearing people's response to it, was that, did that help your grieving process? And how did that
2: impact you? It, it definitely impacted my grieving process in both positive and negative mm-hmm. because... Mm-hmm. Um, one, writing it, of course, that's the whole reason it was, again, a journal, moving mm-hmm. on from there. Publishing it, um, it was very painful because um, mm-hmm. the questions were re-asked of me to go back to visit a place I really was mm-hmm. ready to move on from, but I had to go back and fill in some blanks,
1: mm-hmm. so
2: that was, um, you know, painful, and the therapy part was when people did read it and they would uh, share their stories or say that my book impacted them, I felt like we were sharing our emotion or our heart or our our stories, our tapestry of why we're on this planet and how mm-hmm. we all kind of mingle together. So that made me feel like the world's a little bit smaller and a little bit kinder and more mm-hmm. gentler, maybe. Uh, but the, the, the thing of it is, it's been out for 11 years, but if someone reads it today, I can see, I can always tell when someone just read the book because they look at me mm-hmm. and they kind of tilt their head. And they kinda of give out a heavy sigh and they and there's two things. They're like, Are you okay? and can oh. I hug you? Oh. And I I can appreciate where they are, but I have now moved with this story for eleven years. And I don't say I moved on or past it because I've just moved with it. You know, mm-hmm. Jenna's forever with me and the story's forever with me, but it was new to that person who just read it. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of and and I would say if you if you want to read it I mean you know my story and it's a very detailed story of my life before I met Mark meeting Mark having two children born with cystic fibrosis how it was in in detail of her moving up and what happened in the hospital and then how I moved forward after that and Mm -hmm. and how I stayed in connection with her friends and how I Choose to see life now, and, and the depression that I faced afterwards. So that's all in that book. So it's it's raw, it's real. It doesn't leave you on the floor like you, you just don't want to roll up in a ball after you're done. I, I people feel it's inspirational because mm-hmm. of everything I went through, but um, and that you survived. Yeah. You know, it's it's so yeah,
3: yeah, it's so so wonderful to see that you got out of it on the other side. Yeah, you know, and people in the midst of grieving can't see themselves in that's at uh, that side so that's exactly. what makes give, gives people some confidence like oh my gosh she made it um thank yep. god and then mm. I, I can get through it too
0: yeah yeah um kind of hearing the book because i don't read a lot of books anymore but the one book that i keep thinking of when we're talking about this style of writing is flowers for algernon because that book, you can kind of see, obviously, like, it's fiction, but you see the transition, and it's very emotional, because you see Mm -hmm. what, wait, hold on, I forget the guy's name, the rat is Algernon, but what he goes through, and then kind of, you kind of, you just see the whole transition, so that book, um, obviously, it brings you really close to the person, and kind of puts you in that perspective, um, but that was not the only book you wrote, you wrote two other books, so, um, what was the process, because the first book was a journal, so what was the process from getting kind of the journal book to, like, actual publishing of books?
2: So the first one, because all three books were published differently, even though they were with the same publisher. Mm-hmm. So is that, is that what you're asking, is, like, how? I mean, actually, logistically, how? Well, like, what
0: made you go from, you wrote this first book, it was in your journals that turned into a book. What kind of inspired you to write the next two?
2: Okay. So, everyone has a story. It's like, just like your kids. Every, every reason is a, is a different story. So, mm-hmm. the first one is a memoir. It's a journal. It's very real, raw, real, everything. And the second one is fictional. So, the second one, um, I was playing tennis with my husband, Mark, and all of a sudden, I had this idea and this thought. And I was like, I have to with tennis court. I have to go <laughs> write this chapter. It just like, came <laughs> into my head. That's so, so he's standing there with his racket And <laughs> I went back to the townhouse and, and it just like came to me And I, so my thought for it Was what if um, I, I like to I, I, I believe my daughter lived in my heart And in, my, in, in spirit So mm-hmm. I wanted to take that thought A step further And like um, what if true love Really could last for eternity How would we know What if hospital rooms could talk What would they say you know, and mm-hmm. and it's like, how, how do you put all this together? So this is um, my thoughts of the way I see those who have moved up. Are they still connected with us in this world? And how you know, true love does it go? Does it go according to plan? And. Um, how our hospital rooms so so I just have this little girl, her name is Jenna, surprising <laughs> uh, but she 's a fictional character, but I purposely had her name Jenna, and I purposely started the first one with her being in the hospital because so many people really liked um, beyond breathing, and my real Jenna mm. Mm-hmm that I thought that when they started reading the first chapter, they would immediately know this character. They Mm -hmm, would immediately associate my Jenna with this Jenna. And that was my intention. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where reality and everything kind of grayed out a little bit. Then it goes right into like a love story back in the seventies. And then it goes into, there's a spirit whose work on earth is not quite through. And so this book kind of goes through in a little mystery sort of way a little tapish how lives intersect and intervene and and this spirit needs to complete some sort of task perhaps and then in the ending i i had the ending in mind and i loved the way i ended it and then i it just it just flowed out of me and i pretty much wrote it very quickly and i just i personally loved the characters they they were friends in my head mm-hmm. and i enjoyed telling their story so uh, that also seemed to uh, resonate with people. People kind of like the ending, and I love my favorite response on that ending is people say, mind blown. And I was oh. like, yes. You know, so I was really happy about that. So that was the second book, just total fictional, total fun.
0: was awesome.
2: Did you
3: have any formal training, Margaret? Um, like, do you have to be an English major or a good be a reader or a good writer to embark on this whole challenge of
2: yours, or anyone? So that's so that's an interesting question. So both my mother and my sister are uh, they're professors of English. Oh, so they're English professors, right? They they all have their yeah. Mm. And then there's me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, zero training. I am not an English professor. I have no english training i went to college for political science um so there's nothing there mm-hmm. uh, and, and i'm also dyslexic oh um, my god so so writing uh writing i can write but i have a very hard time reading comprehension mm-hmm. is a hard thing but i love to read but it's always been a challenge for me to mm-hmm. um to, to I, I, if i read too much or too long or it's too complicated. I, mm. I get lost very quickly. Mm. It's just I, I'm a classic dyslexic mm-hmm. adult, so mm-hmm. that's the way that works. But I love to tell stories, and I love my imagination. So uh, so I, I don't know. I, I love Audible. Those are my favorite because mm. I get to listen and then doodle, and I actually take notes while I listen because that's the best way for me to comprehend is to mm-hmm. um, always be a student and take Take notes, but no, no formal training, and it's funny because both my mother and my sister have never written or published anything, and yet they're the ones that have the credentials, and me with no credentials is doing fairly well as a writer. (laughs) Oh
3: my gosh! No, I can say that your 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 writing is so easy, so smooth, so um, it's just it's just very um, engaging and effortless and. That's not easy to do um, as a writer and as a reader.
0: Yeah, I think also like having just, I, I don't know, I think it could be, if you're a writer, you have pressure to write, like, oh, I have to write this book, but you were rather inspired by a thought right. or by your journal where it's like, oh, I want to write. So I feel like in that sense it could come easier because you have the passion for it instead of maybe being s- someone who wants to be a writer, being like, oh, I have to write this to try and like make my career go. So I think that might help it. And I don't strong.
2: have the intention, exactly, Jennifer, Like I don't have the intention to be a a, a writer, an author, mm-hmm. I just I'm telling a story and I'm telling it from my perspective as if you were sitting right next to me. I I, I will never claim to have, you know uh, the full command of a wonderful diction. I mean that's not in, in my It's. It, I'm not going to write War and Peace, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not at that caliber. I am I always want someone to enjoy the book or to read it on an airplane, at a beach, mm-hmm. and just like it's one of those easy reads that you don't have to mm-hmm. stop and think about it. I mean, I'd like the book to linger with you after you've read it, yes, mm-hmm. but not so much that it's almost like a, a, a study guide, you know?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So given your sister and your mom are both English kind of majors, did they help edit and revise the books that you wrote to kind of give you input? <laughs> or were they kind of, you're like, no, I don't want you involved? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, so what you'll realize in my um, books is uh, I have a very um, uh, difficult relationship with my mother. In mm-hmm. fact, I haven't spoken to her in decades. So, oh. so that's out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but she, uh, but I. I really don't know where she is or what she's doing. And my sister and I, it, you know, as siblings go, we we get along well. And then some years we don't necessarily get along so well. So we had our our things back and forth. And uh, no, I I didn't want any of their influence on my mm-hmm. book at all. And mm-hmm. and I and I'm kind of glad. It, you yeah. know, I just want to own you know have yep. the yep. autonomy to just think my way and. And, not, and, and I would have been intimidated had I asked mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. reached out to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have my mom edit my essays either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she'd do a great job. But she, whenever I ask her to edit something, she's like, okay, print it out for me. And I need my pen. And I can write it down. I'm like, mom, it's on the computer right here. She's like, okay, but I need to print it printed out so I can write down my notes. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'll just email it to my friend and they can read it, eat it for yeah, me. Yeah,
3: any corrections <laughs> that I make, she doesn't even take it anyway. That's Margaret. not
0: always true. Yeah, so I take phone. most of them. <laughs> well, because my mom and dad are both very smart. So yeah. I don't
3: know about that. Your and father's I, here, so your father's not here, so we can say all these great things about him because he's not here.
2: <laughs> yes, your parents are very smart. Yes. And yes, it's, it's wise to ask their opinion, but I can see frustrations like, can you just do it my way? Please? Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, I had for my college essay... I had my parents. I was like, they were out of town when I was writing it, so I was like, here. Like, I sent it to them. I'm like, can you just like edit this because they knew the story and it was about. It was about um, one time when I went sick and I had to get an IV, so they knew the story and they were there. And my mom <laughs> sent me the edit. I was like, oh, I'm already done. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I sent this to you like three days ago, so I already finished it. And she's like, okay, well, can you make the edits that I did? And I, don't, I think I made a few of them, not many of them, like weeks after. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's just because I edited it a lot, but it's okay. I my dad helps me a lot with like math and stuff but <laughs> English I mean he's good at English but I'm kind of like you know what it's okay I'm submitting it I went yeah. I threw I went through it with my counselor it was fine um but that's irrelevant. anyway so um <laughs> to you, for your third book I uh, was what was that one about and kind of how did that come about? first of
3: all let's I'm sorry before We're we just move kidding. on to the third book let's um talk about uh, the title of the second book so people can follow that can oh look yeah it up oh, okay where they're available
0: so-
2: Okay, so all my books are available everywhere, everywhere books are sold. But oh, nice. Amazon is the, the you know uh, is probably the easiest way. Go to Amazon. So the first one is Beyond Breathing, and it's a memoir. And mm-hmm. the second one is See You at Sunset. It's fictional. That's cute. And See You at Sunset takes on a whole new meaning at, when you get done with the book. That it'll be a different uh, you good. way I'll to think that. about it. And the last book that I just published, that just uh, got released last month, is oh, called wow. uh-huh. we have Embracing it. the Beauty in the Broken. And uh, that also just received the Editor's Choice Award. So. Oh, already? So yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, it's on the back of the cover now. They had to stop the presses so they could add the editorial award. It's Editor's Choice.
3: Right on, Margaret. Now, who is the editor?
2: Mm-hmm. So it's iUniverse, uh, which is overall a self-publishing company. They're the ones I started with um, eleven years ago, but they have a traditional arm to them, which uh, goes through Penguin,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: um, uh, so because I sold quite a bit, they put me on a premiere list or a, oh. I don't know, I don't know, some sort of different list. So I, I, I just had a little bit more personalized attention, I guess you could say, and nice. help. Uh, going through where they they help with the cover and uh, but this last book uh, same same publisher same process but um i would not use them and i would not use them again so i don't wow. know if this stays i'm not a fan of the way it's just like any business i'm just not mm-hmm. a, a fan of the way they have taken the business this way mm-hmm. so um uh it's a lot of outsourcing and a lot of uh dropping of the ball and hmm. uh, I would not uh, the way they continue the business is, is I would not recommend it. Everybody says, oh, how did you do it? I was like, I would not do it this way. Don't do not do it my way. I'm telling you it's not, that at least not with these people. I would not recommend it. But, Interesting. But needless neat, to say, the book came out, it's done and I felt like, you know, it's over with like the process was painful. But. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: What is this one about and what's the name of this one?
2: So this one is, uh, like I said, embracing the beauty in the broken, and it's pretty much trying to, the, the target audience is a woman between the ages of 45 and 65, and usually yeah. around that time frame in a, in a woman's life, a lot of changes occur, hormones change life changes, usually you become empty nesters or you're either married a long time but a lot of people, or careers a long time and a lot of people at that stage of their lives are questioning their marriage, their careers, their lives, their decisions did they make the right decisions, did they make the wrong decisions, how are hormones dealing with all of this in- mm-hmm. also and so uh, as I turned 50 last year I, uh, I started having some of all these you know, issues with just where am I going? I feel very young. I'm I I an empty nester for five years. I'm an early empty nester um, mm. and all these issues. And I, I'm a self-help junkie. I mm-hmm. went to the bookstore. I'm like, okay, I need a book to help me get through this stage. Like, who's done this before? Who can right. help me and guide me? And I couldn't find one. And the few books I found, I felt they needed therapy, you know, the uh-huh. ones I was reading. Mm-hmm. And then I found one book, but it was more addressed to someone much younger. And I was like, "Wow, there is not a book out there that I am looking for." Mm-hmm. So I wrote it. Oh, you know, awesome. and I it was, but I wrote it in the sense of kind of asking the reader to go through the journey with me. So this book is uh, it's thirty chapters and it's thirty crises that I have dealt with over my life, or challenges, hardships, obstacles. and and how I overcame them. And then my theory was, if I could reflect back on all the challenges and hardships that I went through in life, maybe this next challenge, hardship, or obstacle, will become clearer and and less painful and less much of a a crisis and be more of an experience and, and something to look forward to. So I asked the reader... I, uh, each chapter is labeled a crisis, say say uh, morning or or hormones. Let's go with hormones. It's chapter one. So chapter one is hormones. It's very clear that it's a woman's book, but guys can read it. Um, but it's it's about hormones, and I tell you a little story about mine, and then I say, hey, here's my take, and then I ask the reader, what's your take on this? And I ask them, and I give them a few challenging questions to self reflect, and then. The last part of each chapter is called Take It or Leave It. And that's where I offer exercises or tools for ideas or whatever for the reader to utilize to perhaps get through that part of their life of hormones. And And then each chapter breaks down the same way. A story might take your take, take it or leave it. And so by the time you get done, the reader, as well as myself, You know, you can reflect on different challenges, and you got to know me a little bit more, and you get to know all my problems and, (laughs) you know, what I've dealt with. But I really found by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, wow, it doesn't have to be a crisis. Midlife does not have to be a crisis.
3: Mm. And that you're not alone in all those chapters. I think we all can understand and agree that, yep, that affects me, or that's that's me, that's me, that's me, so that's great for you and it's great for the reader to realize, gosh, I thought I was the only one enduring that pain right. and suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't relate to that. <laughs> and that yet. Well, thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. You got hormones going <laughs> yeah. on, but they're a little different hormones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe in 30 years I can, I'll, I'll read it and let you know. <laughs> You'll enjoy <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I looked, my mom sent you a couple links, sent me a couple links that I looked at. And it also says that you, are a speaker as well. So when you, um, uh, give kind of your speech, I know I've given a couple speeches, but mine were kind of on my journey and wh- wherever I was speaking, it was directed more towards that event. Um, so when you give your speech, is it more about like a book that you wrote sometimes, or, uh, maybe you kind of, they just want you to share your journey or just depend on the event that you're speaking at?
2: All of the above. So, for the That's most part, it's obvious. Whatever I didn't, I didn't intend on being a speaker. Again, all these things kind of come to you. Mm-hmm. Life kind of comes at you as you're planning, and then you just get to decide: Is this the path I want to go? Yeah. And it's way out of my comfort zone. So, after Beyond Breathing was published in 2008, uh, I, I started getting some requests to talk about cystic fibrosis in my Journey, my, you know, pretty much probably why you're asked is like, okay, can you yeah. share your story about CF and your children and you? And sure, sure, sure. So I did that for a while, but it was totally just uh, um, everything was on me, and I did it for the foundation, or I did it for friends of foundations. But it always had a cystic fibrosis theme to it. Mm-hmm. And then um, some people were in the audience that were in the corporate world, and they were like, "Well, your story inspired me. Could you come talk to my company?" Just about you, and I'm like, I don't understand that question, what do you, why would your company care about me and my story, and then they explained to me the, the arc of it, the, the, the um, you know, the, the journey, the before, middle, and after, and how that's motivating and inspiring, and it would help their employees, and, and I was like, okay, that seems odd, mm-hmm. and then... I started saying yes to that and then pharmaceutical companies would ask me because there's that correlation between healthcare and caregiver and it's also of a um, of an employee retention. Like if, if the people that work for this pharmaceutical company know that people like caregivers and people care outside of what they do, then maybe they would stay longer in that company. So there's there was that avenue. And then I, as I wrote the other book, Some people wanted me to just talk about my books and be like, uh, kind of like this, just explain Mm. your process. And then it really started morphing into, which is the most thing I speak about, is overcoming hardship and loss and stepping out of comfort zones and uh, being raw and real and why I extreme hike. You know, so Mm. there's Jenna that pushed me into an out of the comfort zone world where a whole new life emerged that I was Forced into, and sometimes life happens. Whether it's a divorce or a death in the family, or job changes, or whatever, people are forced, not willingly, to live Mm -hmm. a whole new life. Mm -hmm. And so that that's one thing that I talk about. And then I compare it to the things that we we actually want to achieve in our lives and push ourselves past that out of that comfort zone into a world we want to experience, but are very scared to do. And for me, that was like extreme hiking. It was mm-hmm. like, I I am an acrylic male, lots of makeup, <laughs> high wheel city girl. And, I mean, to go into the woods without makeup, you know, with rugged boots and, and, and bugs, it was like out of my comfort zone. But I wanted to know what that experience felt like. And I also wanted to know physically, was I capable of, of that kind of feat? Mm-hmm. So that's something you... I it's a whole new world for me now. I can't see myself not doing an extreme hike. So much I do two a year now, mm-hmm. and will continue to do that because uh, it, it it made something of me that I knew was was needed to come out. So mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I, I I talk a lot to women and and also corporations, but about right outside of your comfort zone. So that, that's one part of, like, a three-part kind of thing I talk about, which I'm going to be talking about tomorrow. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. so Is, that's, that's how good. But re- I still do a lot of CF stuff, too, for sure. I just, mm-hmm. I do. If CF asks me to do something, the answer's always yes. So.
3: Yeah. Well, we totally appreciate that, speaking from the CF community, a CF mom, you're doing things that we all wish we could do, so we're so glad that you represent us all and do it so well.
2: hmm Thank you.
3: How did the uh Vail Gala go? I think you spoke just last weekend, correct?
2: Vail uh, Denver. We there was oh, a um, not Vail, yeah, yep. Denver. Yeah. No, Hike Vail in September yes. and um, just this past weekend there was a breath of life gala in um, Denver, which they asked me to not just like give a speech but to MC the whole night. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. that was that was hours and hours of uh, live auctioning oh, and my. um uh, also, sharing my story in between moving it along and, and being part of the bid that they do to raise funds and awareness for cystic fibrosis. But it was like a seven hour event. It was, oh my that's gosh. why my voice is a little off, but it was long. all good.
3: Wow. That was, was a stretch. Yeah. That's awesome. And you felt good that about it? Yeah, was
2: good. It? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was it was wonderful to meet the community, and I think that they got a insight into uh, CF. Differently. So, what usually happens at these events is they'll hire like a weatherman or mm-hmm. a local celebrity or somebody to come and see the night, and then they have key people come and share their stories, which is the normal. And in fact, my New York City Breath of Life Gala is Thursday, and that's the way it's going to be. They have a mm-hmm. certain local celebrity, and then they have people talk, and then they have their honoree, and everybody goes home. But this one, they wanted to do something different, so uh, the MC wouldn't. Trip over the word tricasta or collidego yes. or you know and was able to bring in an, another uh, viewpoint into the room because it's it's somebody who could keep the flow going mm-hmm. but yet understood the the audience and could interact and interject and I think I think that was um I think it went over really well from the right. feedback I was getting so I, I I was very happy to do that and I think I think it would be a great idea if if they would continue to do that because mm-hmm. I think it I mean when when you have a, a local celebrity I don't know how many people truly care about seeing somebody up there that they see on tv maybe they do maybe they don't mm-hmm. but I think someone if they feel that that person connects to me and I'm sitting in that audience and I'm at the table 36 in the back and and I feel connected that I think is the whole point of a, a charity event is to connect mm-hmm. you know yeah
0: Yeah, that's exactly
3: right. And you really cringe when you're in the middle of an event like that, and you have the MC just just butchering names. It's weird. I cringe
0: when my doctor says it differently than I do, because I feel like, like someone says Orcombi and I say Orcambi. Oh yeah. And like there's little things, and like my doctor would be like, oh yeah, Orcombi. I'm like, no, no, no. Like it's Orcambi. Like I'm sure I'm probably wrong, but (laughs) it's just like the little things. So I'm sure if someone like tried to say that and they don't live around it and they don't say it every day has to be kind of weird to be like okay you totally said that wrong (laughs) (laughs) right it's like "Oh, oh right um no but so I've given a couple speeches and everyone tells me that I'm very poised because and to me I say it's because it's my story and I lived it so it's easy for me to tell that story it's just speaking from my heart um so and you like I never intended to be a speaker and I've given a couple speeches um, and you obviously never intended to be a writer uh, or a speaker and you've done both of them. Mm-hmm. So how I feel like in a sense writing, you can edit and revise and spend a lot of time on it and get different perspectives. Um, but speaking is very in the moment and you have to be like, okay, be prepared. And I mean, I don't have, I don't read straight from notes when I speak. I kind of, um, like I said, it's my story. So I just kind of like tell the story, like I'm telling it to somebody else. So, How was it for you to get into speaking? Because obviously you do it now, and I'm sure you're very comfortable. But in the beginning, how was it for you to get into starting to tell your story?
2: Uh, Terrible. So I'd have the papers (laughs) rustling in my hand, and I'd read every word, and I wouldn't look up, and I was very quiet, and I probably talked too fast and too quiet, and, and, uh, and I could always get a sense of the audience when I was done, whether they were like, oh boy or oh boy you know like Mm -hmm. so so it just took a lot of practice and um so as you write you you get to edit exactly but one thing i do now which i really like to do which is again out of my comfort zone to work on my craft of speaking or interacting with people or to be also current is to do a lot more live videos so i do facebook live i do instagram live i don't Mm -hmm. do a video and then make all the the Changes to it because I would forever be editing it, would yeah. never come out because it would never be right enough or good enough or you know, clever enough or whatever. But my and I, I call it my claim to fame is being raw and real. People mm-hmm. actually like me because they like me and what I say right, wrong, good, bad, or can be or comedy. And by the way, it's or can be because they, yes. I, I you know, <laughs> you're right, it's or can it's not or comedy, it sounds like Bambi, you know, <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: that's what I tell people, but um. It, The whole point is it doesn't matter as long as the reason why people are attracted to the way you say your speech is because, like you said, it's your story. Mm -hmm. So then the only thing you need to work on is allowing those poignant moments or those important sentences to linger out there. Mm -hmm. And the biggest mistake people make, myself included, is I rush through the uncomfortable a little too fast. And you really need to just let it sit there for a moment longer than you think because it resonates. It it might be your story, but they only heard it for the first time. And it takes a moment for their brain and heart to connect. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
2: they're like, wow, and then move on. And to just, you know, really read the audience. And you can't read the audience if you're reading a paper. So, yeah, you know, so, yeah, you should know your story, which is yours. Mm -hmm. But there's sometimes, like I did the MC, and I had to look down to make sure the flow was going the way they, you know, they had. Mm-hmm. But the majority of my part was total ad lib. but I knew what I had to say, and I knew what to say because I had attended enough of these uh, events mm-hmm. over the 28 years, um, which I probably didn't mention. My son is now 28. So, I mean, I've oh, been at good. this for a while,
1: you yeah. know.
3: Yeah, there's great power in the, the word, the power of the pause, you mm-hmm. know, when you speak. Yes. It's, it's, it's so critical and strategically placed. Those paws are really important. Uh, and it's great when you get emotional, when you speak from the heart, because those paws come naturally. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's can be obviously very impactful and effective.
0: Yeah, and I talk very fast in general, so I have to, like, whenever I speak, I have to slow it down. And I kind of have, like, a weird memory. So if I take notes on what I want to speak about, I can, like, see it in my head, and I can tell if I like watch a speech that I've given I can tell if I'm saying something that I didn't write down because I say it kind of in a different tone of voice a little bit and it almost like in my mind sounds like if you're watching a play and they say like a side note to themselves and in my mind like that's what I'm seeing when I like watch myself speak but um yeah definitely the pause and I hate speaking to my parents like if I'm gonna give a speech my dad's like all right Jen like rehearse with me I'm like no like I hate saying that and I don't, I just like giving it in the moment and I'll say it a billion times to myself in my room, but I just don't like practicing it. And I, I don't know, I kind of, I mean, I'll give it <clears throat> like, I'll say in the shower, I'll do whatever, but practicing it in front of people, I don't know. I just don't want it to sound rehearsed. And so I don't practice it. Also, I don't want to like have my parents like make edits for me. Like <laughs> I am like, Oh, these are my notes
2: so question when you say this do you say it out loud in the shower do you say it out loud in your room usually or do you say it in your head
0: um sometimes in my head sometimes out loud if i'm like around if i'm like giving it at an event and i'm sitting at the table staring off into space i'm saying it in my head but usually uh like i'll be in my room and i'll or i'll be in the shower and i'll be saying it out loud
2: my best advice though is because I used to say it all in my head, which definitely is different because my head voice is different than my out loud voice. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I do, and I still do to this day, I'll say it looking at myself in the mirror, which throws it off a little bit because you're like, whoa, you know, there's this mental connection between that. And I can totally relate not wanting to say it in front of your parents because, one, you're wondering if they're going to judge it or edit yeah. or correct it or, you know, their, their response. And I used to be that way with Mark. I would not say it, you mm-hmm. know, in front of him. I, I, I've come past that, but but I can totally see where you're going. And I used to like line up pillows or whatever and and put little faces on them. Mm-hmm. So I make sure because what you, you forget to do is to make that eye contact yeah. and yeah. and to and the practice comes in is when you say a sentence. You, that you land on somebody's face or you read their face mm-hmm. because if you're saying it without a response of a face, a feature, then when someone looks at you or is crying or yawning or looking, it, it might throw you off because mm-hmm. now you're uh, you're paying attention to the interaction. So there's, there's definitely good to always practice out loud and practice in a mirror because you will see yourself and then you can... I don't know, rehearse that a little bit more. That's my unsolicited, unasked advice. But no, if you're going to continue to do that, that's what I would recommend. And yeah, don't do it in front of your parents. I, I get that. <laughs> I fully totally get
1: that. Well, either
3: yeah. that or, Sorry, or just girl. like, I'm either cringing in the early days when Jen would talk and they'd hey. be like, oh my God, let's get the cane. Make sure we bring the cane. To pull her off the stage—that <laughs> was the golf tournament days, Jennifer. Oh, I would right go off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be like, oh my god. And then the other times, you know, recently, I was little I was like seven or eight. I know, no, you were so darn cute. But the other ones, you know, lately have been like, just you get tearful and you are like, oh my god, I'd rather just see it fresh because you know. So now I am yeah. totally good. I don't even. Have, well, we don't even. But the first time that she did a couple um, speeches where there was thousands of people there, um, Jennifer didn't do that before. This was, and she was an absolute zombie
0: wreck on what? the table remember that first one you did oh yeah and so I, Bob I and still I still can I do that I get up. very zoned out running lines in my head like running right. through my notes and so we were at this very nice dinner and the first time I gave a speech it was in front of like I don't know like 2,000 people mm-hmm. something like that and uh, how old was I I was like 16 and I'm just I, I don't even know how I get I've given speeches before but, but like with family, but and with friends, fe- and people yeah. I'd grown up with like Lumpy's Army, which is yeah. a CF event we do every year that I started, I yeah. started speaking there. That's the first time I ever like gave public speaking with air quotes. Um, I was young. I'd grown up around these people. I was very comfortable with them. Um, and like my mom said, I would go off and say things <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, Jen, don't say that. But it was okay. People thought it was funny sometimes. <laughs> but oh. I was like, this nice dinner, like a nice steak for dinner. And I can't eat. I'm staring off into space running through the notes in my head like counting off on my hand the notes that I have to do. Everyone's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just a little bit stressed, but I'll be okay." And then I go up there and I give my speech and I come back down and they're like, "You are so mean." I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, "You're messing with us." Like, "You were lying. You were not nervous at all. Are you kidding me?" And I was like, "No, I was freaking out." Like, sitting at the table and you can my hands were shaking on the podium. But they're like, "You did so well." I was like, "No, I was really freaked out about it, but it was the, at the very beginning, I still kind of do it. I still get very nervous, and I don't talk a lot before I give a speech. Cause I'm like very focused on what I'm gonna say, and very like nervous that I'm gonna mess it up. But my, it came down, and everyone was so mad at me for like. Because I didn't think I was nervous We were so darn worried.
3: But I, we always kind of said, Jennifer, your story is yours. It's just speak from the heart because, yeah. you know, that story speaks for itself. And that's 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 and that's what you do, Margaret, when you're up on stage. You just speak from the heart. Yeah, and but I get
2: that same way. I get nervous right before, and I concentrate to make sure I hit the keynotes, you yeah. know. I I just, I don't think I show outward anymore, but when someone's talking to me at, like, a dinner before I speak, I'm counting off on my hand, too, mm-hmm. you know, the points. You're like, okay, there's five there, okay. And I really i'm not paying attention that clearly to what they're saying because i i don't want to mess this up mm-hmm. but as soon as i get up there and i say that first sentence um off to the races then i'm, I'm fine but mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean because i think you take what you say and who you're saying it to seriously and mm-hmm. that and, and i have to say jennifer my goodness to talk in front of people at 15. i know 30 year olds four year olds mm-hmm. that could never do what you did you know so just to do that at such a young age, and to continue to do that, um, is 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 totally amazing and remarkable, and, and Thank is, you. I, I'm super super impressed. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's
0: helped a lot. Um, and my dad always says that as a kid, since I had CF, I was used to people coming up to me and like always talking to me, and I was very kind of socially awkward around people that I wasn't didn't know very well. But since this podcast, especially, and since my public speaking, I've become a little bit more, like, outgoing to people. Um, But, yeah, definitely public speaking has helped a lot. And I'm, like, in English, like, if I'm at school and I have to give a presentation, I like freak out about it. Well, especially if it's in Spanish, because, like, I'm just memorizing it. But now (laughs) it's kind of nice, because I've gotten so comfortable, and I can talk, um, like, in leadership things, I can talk to people like I don't really get that nervous talking out loud anymore. And in fact, I kind of like I'm eager to do it. Like I want to share my story. I want to say what's happening. Um, just because I've, at least for my story, I've seen a lot of it impact a lot of people, and I'm sure you're the same way. Where now it's kind of like you want to share it. You want to be like, oh, like I can help you or something. Like and just get your story out there because I've had a very positive uh, feedback, and I'm obviously you have had a lot, and you still speak. So I think. I've become so comfortable, and I'm sure you have as well, where you kind of want to share your story, and people ask you, like, you're excited. You're like, yes, I want to do it. I want to share it. And every time there's a new feedback you get, there's someone else that you inspire, and it just, like, keeps and makes you want to keep on telling your story.
2: Yeah, it's totally the momentum. Yeah, you you share your story. You impact somebody else, and someone else shares their story. Mm -hmm. And the lives that you can change just by sharing you Mm-hmm. It, and and again I go back to be the change you know if you can if everybody can be a little bit kinder and nicer and if we can all be a little bit more connected to each other I just think there's a better place of humanity out there that way mm-hmm. than to keep everything reserved so I would say share your story and listen to other people's sh- stories and, and what you're doing here with the podcast uh, no matter what your topics are you're sharing that and you're sharing those people with whomever is going to listen to that and I mm-hmm. think I think that that's just a really good good karma you put out into the universe, and, and I I just I'm just honored that you're even asking me to be a part of it. So I appreciate the, the just the invite for sure. Well, thank you
0: and thank you for coming on. You have a lot to talk about, and it was so interesting to talk to you. Um, it's just I, th- I think every time I talk to someone else, like I learn some things, and you have especially with public speaking, talking to you about it, like the few little tips and like the writing and everything that you've done. Uh, but yeah every podcast I get some stuff out of it so it was it's been great talking to you I've learned a lot and I because I knew you from extreme hikes and like at big group dinners with my parents and the other hikers and so it's different and nice to have like a one-on-one or whatever the three of us um, yeah just like be a little more (laughs) personal about it and like really get into it and I think also what I love about the podcast is like this isn't a normal conversation that you would have. Like, yeah, that's true. Like, it'd be awkward if you came over to my house and I was okay, still, you wrote this book. Now tell me everything about this book and tell me why you wrote it. So I think it's yeah. cool to like have this avenue where I can, you know, this is what you're getting into and it's cool to be able to share it. And I've even like listened back on a couple, I wrote a paper about a podcast that I did a couple weeks ago. I wrote a paper about it and it, it's cool to like be able to listen to it again and be like, oh, like I didn't realize that the first time I heard it or when I was editing it. So even I listen to them a couple times and I'll be like, oh, and get new things out of it. And it's so neat good. because it's a, it's
3: a good exercise for Jennifer, for us as adults too, Margaret, that we learn to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, either willingly or happenstance. And that is so important to humanity because it's the ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes that we fully understand life. Mm-hmm. And some people are not really, uh, doesn't, don't have the opportunity or don't have the interest, Or they shy away or even forcefully go, I'm never going to think about that. I can't even imagine. But Mm -hmm. sharing your story at a podium with people who relate or don't relate to to your passion of CF. Or sharing your
0: story in any avenue anyway. Like whether it's a book, podcast, like article, you know. Yeah.
3: It's so important for us to, you know, kind of understand what it's like to be in someone else's shoes so that we can learn from them and, Mm -hmm. and. Well, how can it affect us? How can we be prepared? Should we have a challenge similar to that? So this podcast has been a great learning curve for Jennifer, for, for me as a parent, and then just the whole journey of having a CF child and mm-hmm. um, parenting with adversity, um, realizing yeah. that, you know, experiencing, you know, your experience, Margaret, and how sometimes you don't even want to go there. I don't even want to talk to another CF parent because I just i can't even face it and and then you choose to do it and for whatever reason right opportunity or the right time in your life and you realize i'm not the only one
1: um mm-hmm. i
3: understand yep. you know and uh, and it's okay i'm gonna survive it and it's i'm not gonna uh having walked through in someone else's shoes gives you strength from the receiving yep. end of it yeah um,
0: and i also think like um like you said like you're giving speeches to people that aren't always cf related and i think um like my story can inspire people who don't have CF people like not even people who have like going through adversity going through sickness or anything like that they're kind of like oh like your story was inspiring to me anyway so I think it's cool to be able to like to share your story even if I give a speech in front of 2,000 people none of them have CF Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it still ends up inspiring them or some maybe somehow they know someone with CF or anything honestly it doesn't always have to be a speech directed at the same person at the same person as someone who's having the same experience that you are, um, people hear things that maybe isn't even related to them and take the little things out of it that inspire themselves. So um, I also think if you think your story is irrelevant, if anyone listening thinks your story is irrelevant, and you're like, oh, no one relates to this. Um, well, I have an orphan disease. Not many people relate to what I have. Mm-hmm. And so it's something that everyone can under, like even if it's a sentence you say, so there's some things that like, there's a hunting guide that gave a speech, and he gave, he said a sentence that I has, has stuck with me for yeah. the past two or three years. And he was giving a guy a speech about being like the guide of the year. So, I mean, he had nothing to do with CF, like none of that. And he, so I think if you are listening and you say you have a story that you want to tell and you're like, Oh, but no one wants to hear this. Don't think that because there's so many people that can take little things out of it that you may not even, un- that you may not even know that you c- someone can take out of it. Mm-hmm. So, That's and really obviously like not everyone that reads Margaret's books is like, A mom mom who has lost a daughter with CF, you know, they have have little things that they can relate to, and it connects them to what they're reading. So I think getting your story out there um, in any way possible kind of helps anybody in any way that they feel close to that. Yep, throughout your life. That's right.
2: Very well said. Absolutely. It's like, share your story. If there's one thing that anybody that's listening just share your story
0: especially nowadays with all the platforms on Mm -hmm. social media or like anything it's so easy to kind of get out there you have to push past that comfort zone um just to kind of get out there and say it but it's i feel like i mean obviously i don't know i've grown up social media but i feel like it's much easier now than it ever used to be to get your story out there and kind of share what you're going through yep yep all right. Well, Margaret, I told you it was me one hour so you could make dinner <laughs> for your husband. I'm sorry, uh, it's a little. <laughs> boring. am
3: sorry, it's a little boring. We don't have Bob throwing in movie lines, Margaret. So you're kind of uh, you're kind of uh, got lucked out on that one. Either yeah. Bob would throw out some, you know, inappropriate, ridiculously, but he thinks is funny movie lines that. Uh, He's, uh, I do laugh. I do. They <laughs> are
2: funny. I they are. It, man, you're funny. Sometimes yeah.
3: they're
0: awkward, so they're funny. Sometimes they're funny because they're perfectly timed, but it's either one. <laughs> we just need to have a crickets app
3: so that when it's silent on the other side, we're like, mm, crickets, crickets. Yeah, I need to control yeah. that
0: button because he's not going to do it for himself. Well, he's
3: in the middle of, uh, he's in a tree stand right now in Kansas hunting deer, so that's where yeah. he is this
0: weekend. So. Okay. Yes. Well, I am not. So. Yes, yes. You're I'm in a warm either. house. probably really cold yeah. where he is. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so Margaret, well, thank you for coming on here. Uh, we talked about a oh lot my of things. Goodness, thank you. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add or talk about that we did not talk about already?
2: No, nope, I just I think you guys are absolutely wonderful, and oh, and you. I just appreciate just the uh, the sharing of my story. So thank you for that.
0: Of course, and thank you for writing the books and speeches. I will definitely read <laughs> the first two. I don't know if I can really relate to the last one yet. Maybe we'll hold yeah. on to that one. <laughs> um, but I'll definitely get those a read. Um, so yeah, thank you for coming on here. Thank you for taking the time out of your day. I know you're busy uh, making dinner, so thank you for coming yeah, on even about your nice. life and uh, engagements. Mark's
3: birthday. Oh, yeah, well, happy birthday! birthday today, so, oh, yeah. happy he's, birthday! Give them our yeah, happy birthday to uh, from he's us. He's
2: downstairs finishing dinner and drinking wine. So that's <laughs> <laughs> a great
3: way to spend your birthday. That's awesome.
2: Yes, absolutely. All right, ladies. Thank you. Well, very, thanks very for all that all right. you do well, for thank you CF. So much.
3: Thanks
0: so much. All right. Have bye-bye. a good night. Bye all right well just wrap it up real quick yeah i told margaret i was like oh don't worry it'll only be an hour she's like okay i'm making dinner for mark i was like all right it's like an hour right now so yeah, it's birthday dinner but you know i mean i love it when you go farther than you longer yes. than you wanted to because we talked about i told her we just wanted to take like, out people want to talk about books for an hour anyway i was like well no because we'll talk about books and living with, like a bunch of things it's about a bunch yeah, of stuff that's but right. yeah no i only knew margaret from the extreme hikes but it was good talking to her like the one-on-one and then with your input because you know her better than i do so it was mm-hmm. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, she had a lot to say, a lot of things she threw in there that I didn't ask for. And I love, I love when people do that. Like,
2: I may not have any question, but she's
0: like, oh, like, I want to throw this advice in there. So... Oh, I did too. I realized, I was hoping she would do that. Yeah, that was she so did. So that. She I'm did glad. That. Um, Probably because she's used to speaking and being like, oh, like, I want to throw this in there. Right. But yeah, definitely those books. I will link the, the link to the books um, in the show notes. And my mom sent me some links. Um, there's a website, Margaret's website. Yeah. Um, and on that website, that. the books are on there. So you can... Yeah. But in case you don't want to go through the whole website, I'll link the mm-hmm. books um, on Amazon because, you know, who doesn't have Amazon? If not, then you heard the titles. Um, and I'll put the titles and so and you can look them up however you want to get them. Um, but, yeah, it was great talking to her. Um, hopefully, I'll get to see her sometime soon. Yep, I don't know. She's. Uh, we'll
3: see. Hopefully, she'll either be back here for an extreme Or you need to go to New York. Maybe that's where Margaret is. And who yeah. knows where life will lead us. Uh, we'll see. We'll there's see always a eventually. CF event that I'll see her at. There but. always is.
0: Oh, and I wanted to mention um, Margaret's daughter, Jenna. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to the podcast where we talked to Peter and Angie, um, Angie told the story about going on the extreme hike and seeing the girl Jenna with the number 13 on her shorts. Um, and they were talking about how crazy that was. That was about Margaret's daughter, Jenna. Margaret um, Margaret's daughter passed away when she was 13, and they met a girl on the hike at Angel bright, angel, bright trail, angel trail right at the start the start um and her name was jenna and she had a number 13 on her shorts so all of it kind of came together and it was it just was amazing it's the whole story thing. if you listen to angie say it on that podcast it was crazy and it gives makes me gives me a have goosebumps right now it gives yeah. me goosebumps every time i hear it yeah it's crazy um, yeah and i love how margaret always says that she went up to heaven i love how mm-hmm. she says that yeah it just makes it sound so, so angelic mm-hmm. um I never met Jenna, obviously, but kind of like name buddies. So, yeah, pretty close. Uh, and CF buddies, you know. So, um, I have not met her, but I've heard a lot about her. Yep. Um, and thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please give me any feedback, um, subscribe, comment, a review, anything. Um, you can DM me as well. I love hearing from you guys. Um, yeah, and it was great having my mom on here sometimes, you know. My yeah. dad's yeah, gone. My mom's filling yeah. in. Yeah, you get to fill in. Yes. All Thanks right. very well, much for having me, Jeff. Of course. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Sorry there were no movie lines today. Right. <laughs> it yeah. happens sometimes.
3: Consider it a blessing for all those listeners who Little don't bit. like the movie lines. <laughs> just anyway. kidding.
0: Um, you know, because, guys, life is short and so am I, and I'm just trying to make the most out of every day, and I hope that you guys do too. I hope you all have a great journey and you make it an epic one. Well,
1: course. you better know the bottom if you want to be a climber. Cause there's always another one a little bit higher Just when I think I'm finally done I'm staring at another one So I reach down deep and I lace them up tighter It was only a mountain Nothing but a big old rock Only a mountain Took a little step, a right, then a left, then a couple million more.